Here's the thing though. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's the Thing Though. My name is Saliha, and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. What's up? Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kurungai people, who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present, and future, and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land, and that sovereignty was never ceded. So Mitch, how are you? How's it going? I'm good. It's a lovely rainy day. I'm a bit cold, but I'm enjoying the weather. We have the lights turned off. It's a bit moody. Mm. I feel like I'm doing good. How are you? I'm the same. I'm feeling good as well. I'm, I mean, kind of stressed because my washing is on the line and I didn't realize it was going to rain. Oh, no. And on the train here, it started to rain and I was like, no. But also at the same time, I love the rain. I love cold weather. I'm like in a really cozy sweater. I am still a little bit on the cold side, but I'm happy. I'm feeling good. It's nice to see you. I know. Yes. I've barely seen Mitch these last couple of weeks because he's been busy doing uni work and whatnot, and it's left me very lonely. So I'm glad to be here, and I've just quit my retail job, and he's on his holidays for two weeks, so we're both, like, free. Yeah, it's feeling good. Yeah, it's a good day today. It is. What have you been up to in the past week? Just kind of sorting my affairs, mostly finishing my retail job, and then I went to watch Fun Home with you. Yes, 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 yes. That was really good. Fantastic. We saw a production last Thursday done by the Sydney Theatre Company of Fun Home, which is a musical based on off of a graphic novel by Alison Bechdel. You may have heard that name before. If you the know Bechdel it. Test. The Bechdel Test. Uh, I really loved the graphic novel, so I was very excited to see this play. Uh, and it was absolutely fantastic. I would definitely recommend, if you're in Sydney, uh, see if you can get some cheap tickets. Uh, yeah. It was really good. It was fantastic. I um, know of it through Mitch because he asked me to borrow the graphic novel for him. And then I like read some of it. And I struggled a little bit. I didn't finish it because it was just making all these references to all these philosophers and thinko- thinkers that I don't really know. And I felt a little bit incompetent and sad. So no, then I, so then no, I, didn't. I was all. like, I feel like. I feel dumb reading this because I, I don't know what it's talking about. But then I went to watch the musical with Mitch and it was so good and so clever and so funny. Um, and it, it's made me want to go back and actually like properly read the graphic novel. Yes, I would recommend uh, both. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's, that's the summer. I don't think I've done anything else interesting in the past week. We are now in our last week of Ramadan, which is uh, sad and also exciting. Like sad because... I mean, it's always kind of sad when Ramadan comes to a close. But exciting because I just can't wait for the copious amounts of food I'm going to eat on Eid. Mm. Mm, and I want to get dressed up and I want to eat clothes. And morning <laughs> coffees. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to miss. Like, oh, I do really miss things like brunch and going out for coffee. It's just like the, you don't realize how essential food is to your social life until you're not eating. Because there are so many friends that I haven't seen till, since pre-Ramadan. Because when we hang out, we go out to eat or we go out for like a coffee or we go out for brunch. So I just haven't really hung out with anyone. I feel like my social life has been on pause during Ramadan because I'm like, oh, I probably won't go to all these events because I don't really want to sit there and watch people eat. So I just won't. And now I just haven't seen anyone in forever. So I'm keen to like see people again. Yeah, it's sort of like if you don't drink, it can be hard to make plans with people because alcohol often facilitates that. Oh, but it's just an even more... Is that so? I wouldn't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Like the story of my life anyway, as someone who doesn't and never has, uh, I don't drink. 
uh, which has already been an issue. It's like a more extreme version. Yeah, well, it's just like not drinking already kind of cuts out a certain part of like social lives for me. There's like already cuts out a certain crowd and then not eating just cuts out literally everybody else. <laughs> so I am, I am keen to be able to just like go out for a coffee and just like hang out or like go for a picnic. I really want to go for a picnic. You know, there are so many things that I want to do that I haven't done because uh, it hasn't been super easy in Ramadan. So I am keen to do that, but also be sad because Ramadan has good vibes and I'll miss the good vibes. That's true. But anyway, let's move on from this. Uh, before we get into today's topic, we don't have follow-up, but I did want to talk briefly about some politics happening at the moment because uh, just yesterday at the time of recording, uh, the Australian government introduced a policy where Australian citizens coming back from India uh, will be fined or potentially jailed up to five years for like wanting to come back into Australia. Like we've just we've, we've got this India travel ban and it is so racist. And like, I already put up a post about this on Instagram. I'm so I'm sure most of you listeners have already seen it. But I wanted to bring it up because like, it's just so abhorrent. And like, as so many people are saying, this is not a race issue. It's a health issue. As if like, those are mutually exclusive. Like race and health so deeply are intertwined, especially in politics, especially to do with COVID-19. Like we're at a time where, I mean, the beginning of COVID saw so much racism against Chinese people and also just like literally any Asian looking person and then all the like we were just exporting all our anxieties onto third world quote unquote developing countries um, and blaming them for like I don't know eating bats or whatever other racist things people were saying and there was like already so much racialized hatred because of COVID and then with vaccines happening now we're in like a vaccine apartheid where the West the UK US Australia Israel are like prohibiting um vaccines from entering other countries particularly the u.s and israel like the u.s with everywhere and israel with palestine um we're in like a vaccine apartheid where the west is hoarding resources and so again it's become a racialized issue because it is poorer marginalized countries that don't have access to the things they need to recover from covid because of late stage capitalism and you know wealth and greed and then now on top of that with like the fact that Australia never banned any citizens coming back from like the UK when they were in the peak of, they were having like, what, 60,000, 600,000 cases a day. I don't know. One of those two numbers. <laughs> 600,000 cases a day. Maybe it was 60,000. Surely not. I don't care. Anyways. Look, that's irrelevant. The point is they were in the peak of COVID during a time where we didn't even have a vaccine. This is pre-vaccine days. Um, and we were still allowing citizens to come back, obviously, because they have the right of return, like legally. It's an implied right under the constitution. And it's also something recognized by international law. Um, so it's kind of absurd that like only specifically Indian citizens, like Indian Australian citizens can't come back, especially because like we have a vaccine now. This is something that's really bothering me. Let me talk about really quickly is that everyone's like, oh, but like it's a health issue. You know, we, we finally got cleared of COVID. Like we don't want things to get bad again. Okay, first of all, quarantine hotels exist and we have a vaccine. Like the whole point of having a vaccine and having like quarantine sites is so that we can have open borders. Like that is the point. The point is to be able to open up our borders. Otherwise we wouldn't have bothered with these things. And also like in the peak of COVID, when the death rates in Australia were like at their highest and when we were getting like, dozens upon dozens of cases if not hundreds of cases a day we were still allowing people into the country because they live here and now when risk is at its lowest because we actually have a vaccine it's i feel like we should be more open it should be easier to get back into australia not harder and to not only and if here's another key point to not only like ban people but to criminalize 
People want to come back, like to threaten your own citizens with five years jail time because they want to come home is like fucking ridiculous. It's actually just so absurdly racist and there's no other excuse. So I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear any, oh, it's just a health thing. Like, don't make it about race. It is absolutely about race. And it really doesn't take, look, Andrew Bolt, Andrew Bolt, who is like the worst person in Australian media even he thinks it's racist. Like, the local white supremacist thinks it's racist. So I think that should be enough for you guys. Speaking of racism, uh, I'll take this moment to transition into our topic for today, which was actually quite highly requested through Instagram. Uh, something really topical at the moment is ecofascism, which sounds like kind of niche and like maybe a bit spooky and like kind of like not something you think about a lot, but you'd be surprised how many people, probably your friends, maybe even you, actually believe in quite a few eco-fascist myths. It's becoming like increasingly prevalent um, and really topical in a lot of political ways as well, which I'll get to in a second. But yeah, this episode, it's inspired by a series of kind of conversations I've been seeing floating around Instagram around problematic and racist myths to do with climate change which is essentially what ecofascism is about. So let's get into it. So I feel like we should start this discussion with what ecofascism actually is. It's kind of basically when environmentalism meets white supremacy, racism, misogyny and genocide. But I think Vice has a really good description. So Vice describes ecofascism as an ideology which, quote, blames the demise of the environment on overpopulation, immigration, and over-industrialization. Problems that followers think could be partly remedied through the mass murder of refugees in Western countries. Now, I know that sounds really drastic, uh, but ecofascism isn't just about murdering refugees for the sake of the planet. Uh, like the quote says, overpopulation, immigration, and over-industrialization are problems that seem fairly non-controversial when you initially bring them up. Uh, and ecofascism kind of takes these issues and then deems the solution to them being like the eradication of like racial identities or communities of people of color. The ideas of ecofascism are rooted in this idea that humans are to blame for the demise of the planet, but specifically the humans they're referring to are marginalized groups, typically working class people of color. Ecofascism blames this demise on the planet with things it associates with marginalized identities, predominantly with like people of color, and then uses environmental politics to justify things like banning immigration or segregating racial societies or punishing and maybe even eradicating ethnic communities or specific races, genocide. It's actually surprisingly common in far right circles. A pretty recent example uh, is the Christchurch shooter who killed over 50 Muslims in a mosque in New Zealand. Uh, his manifesto was actually an eco-fascist manifesto all about how immigrants are destroying the planet. Yeah, the thing about the Christchurch shooter is that he was like an ethno-nationalist. So it's this idea that multiculturalism and immigration is what is destroying the planet and all the races need to uh, segregate themselves uh, and live together. I mean, the name of his manifesto, which was The Great Replacement, which I'm not going to... Uh, humor describing what that is but it's essentially a jewish conspiracy so just classic nazi shit yeah but the point is ecofascism is rooted in this idea 
that immigrants and people of color and poor people and other marginalized groups, they are the reason that we are having a climate crisis. And it is through some form of eradication or punishment or separation from these groups that we will save ourselves and the planet. It is like climate action that is just rooted in genocide, pretty much. Something I specifically wanted to talk about was this idea at the moment of overpopulation as racist. Uh, because it doesn't sound racist at first. I know it doesn't, but it kind of comes up a lot all the time. Like a really good example was during COVID. Uh, there were people saying that COVID was like a good thing because all these mass killings are preventing overpopulation and that actually like it's kind of a blessing in disguise. Like I know it's really sad, but it's going to be good ultimately for Mother Nature. Look at all these, you know, new animals that are coming out of the forest now because we're isolating. Nature is healing. Hashtag humans are the virus. Like that, all that, all those ideas around overpopulation are actually like quite problematic And the reason for that is because there is an identification of overpopulation, people of color, and climate. There's this quote from a Teen Vogue article, love Teen Vogue, uh, that says, if you look at where there continues to be the highest levels of population growth, it's the poorest parts of the world with the lowest carbon footprints. But when that conversation immediately moves the discussion to overpopulation, we're changing the subject from unsustainable overconsumption by the rich to the procreation habits of the poor. And that is a very political decision. I love this quote. And I think it really kind of gets to the heart of what the problem is with eco-fascist ideas like overpopulation and immigration and why they are racist. Because we shift our attention from the actual root causes of climate disaster, like capitalism, like fossil fuel companies, like just all the shit that the rich are up to constantly and their overconsumption to like, how many babies a Somalian family is having and, you know, like the amount of pollution that this particular Indian family is putting out there and how many children us as women decide to have. Exactly. It sort of displaces the blame from these sort of abstract uh, systemic factors and it allows you to target an individual material group and um, be like, you know, these are the reason that the environment's collapsing. Yeah. It's these ideas of instead of actually looking at how these issues have come to play in like a society that is built on like capitalism and profits and greed, we just blame the poor and the marginalized because it's easy to blame them. It is like, it is some Nazi shit. (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, it it ultimately leads to genocide. Like if we're going to, if we're going to blame an entire class of people, like a racial class of people or a lower class of people for the climate disaster, then inevitably we kind of come to the solution that if we eradicate them, we eradicate the problem. And this is actually becoming so prevalent now. And I'm seeing this sort of discourse everywhere in, in some more straight up races than others. Uh, I remember some kids from my high school who straight up just became like a fucking fascist before I blocked him on Facebook. I saw him, sh- saw him sharing a meme, which was like a, a map, which is sort of uh, segmented by the amount of pollution from each country. And of course, India uh, had the highest, uh, I think, uh, pollution, whereas, you know, so-called Western countries had much lower pollution. And he was using this as sort of not a racist thing, apparently, but, you know, we need to look at these countries and why potentially they are polluting so much and why they are destroying our environment. Whereas the civilized Western countries uh, are the example that these countries should be following. And we'll get into why that is like absolutely absurd and idiotic, but 
But it's just like these ideas of like the West is clean and good and modern and we're the ones trying to build the technology to save the planet and we're the ones who care about the planet and we're coming up with all these sustainable alternatives to things like plastic bags and plastic straws and fast fashion and it's these dirty poor immigrants that just have to use their plastic bags and they just have to drive these old cars that spout all the CO2 and they're the ones that are responsible for XYZ thing that... All these old school practices that they keep doing, which is going to destroy the planet. They keep having kids. They keep overbuying all these things. They keep shopping at far. You know, there's just. Yeah, it's like I use my keep cup as a learned uh, middle class individual while these uneducated brown people are destroying the planet with their ignorance. It's like it's yeah. really fucked up stuff. It's just neo-colonial ideas. Yeah, exactly. But anyways, we'll get into yeah, that well- a bit later. I guess, I mean, part of the reason that we're bringing up these eco-fascist ideas is because they are becoming, like Mitch said, very prevalent, but not just in right-wing circles. Like, eco-fascism is actually starting to rear its ugly head in a, well, I'm not going to say starting because it's probably been around for a while, but in left-wing circles and specifically in circles that we occupy, which is making me very uncomfortable. I'm seeing a lot of kind of ideas around like overpopulation and scarcity of resources and like child rearing or birthing in left-wing circles, that sounds suspiciously like ecofascism to me. Yeah, exactly. Where the sort of definition that we gave a few minutes ago about ecofascism is very apparently racist and it's sort of unambiguously fascist. Yeah, like no shit, genocide is bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the way that we're seeing it, like you said, rear its ugly head in some leftist circles is far more pervasive and in a way more dangerous because its racist implications are not as obvious. Yeah, it's far more insidious this way. Uh, so I think I'm going to get into some of these less extreme eco-fascist kind of examples that are popping up in our circles. A really big one is consumerism and ideas around consumerism because there is a lot of placing blame on those who, you know, do things like buying fast fashion, like I just mentioned, or not having a keep cup or whatever, that like often just incidentally, well, people think it's incidentally, but it inherently ends up targeting the poor and the marginalized who don't actually have access to a lot of sustainability practices because they're not the most accessible thing. Um, They are in some ways, but if we're going to talk about things like buying from more expensive but better for the environment brands as opposed to cheap fast fashion like Kmart or Cotton On, like some things are less or slash more accessible. And there's a lot of blaming the poor and marginalized for overconsumption, for the creation of rubbish and litter and waste, which is actually just false. Because like I mentioned in the quote earlier, it is these like highly populated, more marginalized groups that tend to have the lowest carbon footprint. Uh, but there's another quote I want to bring up from Teen Vogue again uh, that says, while it's true human consumption harms the environment, ecofascist place the blame exclusively on the marginalized because consumerism produces massive amounts of garbage and ecofascists incorrectly blame poor people, typically of color, for using plastic bags and other cheap disposable products, often without pointing to the damage done by major polluting corporations like those in the fossil fuel industry. This relates to conversations around sustainability that I'm seeing in a lot of kind of middle class, white, left-wing circles because sustainability is important, but that's not it. That's not where the activism ends. In fact, that's not even where the activism starts. (laughs) Like, there are so many ways that we can end climate change where I'm not stressed about plastic straws. I try to avoid them, but, like, it's... I'm not a bad person for using them, and it's not something we should be really moralizing for, like, several reasons. And I guess the most important part of that discussion is, like, 
who are you blaming when you talk about certain uh, factors to climate change? Like when you talk about things like plastic straws and plastic bags and overconsumption, who are you talking about? Are you talking about working class people that just buy shit? Like, is this a conversation where we're talking about the dumb, uneducated, ignorant kind of poor person who do- who isn't politically aware or are you talking about the rich who overconsume, who have these massive fucking mansions that use up god knows how much water on their lawns are we talking about fossil fuel companies are we talking about the ruling class who are we talking about when you have these sustainability blame conversations because some of them are icky some of them are icky and they kind of miss the point like Sustainability is a practice that has been created in response to capitalism, which is overproducing things. It is not something that is curing the issue. It's a response we have against an overabundance of resources being chucked at us constantly. There is so much trash, not because we bought it, but because capitalists are making it. They're creating demand for things that we don't need demand for because that is how capitalism functions. There is this constant need to produce new things in the hopes of chasing profit. It is not the individual that is to blame for those things. And I think that's really important in conversations around sustainability. And especially because like you and I are making no impact on the planet. It is fossil fuel companies predominantly. There is actual stats. There's a guiding article, which I'll link in the sources, that was released about a study where it basically found out that over 70% of the like the global emissions in the world are from 100 companies, all of which are fossil fuel companies. This is all fossil fuels, fracking, logging, mining. I mean, the US Army is one of the biggest polluters in the world as well. And even what, with what Mitch said before about like, oh, these, you know, Southeast countries with their high pollution rates, like those pollution rates are because the West outsources our production exactly. to those countries and it's still our waste we're just we just take our shit over there and do it and then we're like see the west is so clean like yeah, exa- we just dump our shit in other places exactly and it's like it's their production that is exported for our consumption it's our demand in a lot of these relatively affluent western countries that these countries like china india etc are actually economically dependent on our consumption and we outsource our production to there. So we don't have all the production in our country. We give it to them. And then also we make them dependent on our consumption, which is then in a positive feedback loop, just worsening the situation. Exactly. Like, I mean, to be fair, I don't think that even if we, like, I think if all of us just decided to stop buying something, I don't think that would really affect its actual production that much because capitalism just makes shit supply and demand is a myth we know this from the random shit you see online that you're like no way anyone wants this or is buying it but they probably aren't we just get told i was actually you know what? i'm gonna go on a slight tangent i was having this conversation with mitch about these new like popping like fidgety the fidget poppers the or fidget pop, i don't know like they're called so many different things but they're essentially supposed to be like a replacement for bubble wrap these like little silicone or plastic things in the shapes of like unicorns or whatever where they have these little bubbles and you pop them like bubble wrap and i swear i saw this like once in like a paid sponsored post on instagram like the main pages were getting paid to by like wish or whatever with these like a random obscure item that nobody wants or cares about but like because they just paid to have ads everywhere, it made it seem like everybody had one of these, which made people start buying them because there was this assumption that, oh, if everybody has one of these, there must be something of worth to it. So I'm just going to buy one. Like capitalism just creates demand where there is none. None of us wanted this thing. Nobody asked for it. There was no demand for this thing. They just made it and then convinced us that we wanted it. 
Yeah, and thinking of sustainability, I wouldn't be surprised if the people making these fidget poppers suggest that this is a sustainable alternative to the sort of the the waste of popping bubble wrap. But the thing is, is that bubble wrap has a fucking function. It has a purpose. <laughs> like you can use bubble wrap and then also just enjoy it. You don't need to make these like uh, external unnecessary fucking silicon. That's poppers. like greenwash capitalism for you, though. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's about. As we're talking about here, capitalism, I mean, at least we believe, obviously has the role in this unsustainable overproduction and uh, sort of hegemonic uh, overconsumption as because we are convinced that this is what we need to do to be to achieve the good life, to be happy. But the thing with uh, keep cups or uh, reusable bags, which are all great things, I'm not criticizing, but it's, it's that this sort of green consumption doesn't challenge capitalism. So if it doesn't challenge capitalism and capitalism is the problem, then what's really going on? Yeah, green capitalism is just capitalism evolving to be sexy. Like, it doesn't actually stop things like fossil fuels. It doesn't actually stop the things that are destroying the planet. We could, like, stop having coffee cups forever and our carbon amounts will still increase because it's about, like, actually how capitalism is functioning and it's about fossil fuels. I feel like... Our key priority right now is probably fossil fuels. Another conversation that I'm seeing pop up a lot, particularly, again, from middle-class white women, I guess, in my circles, uh, is the conversation about not having children uh, to avoid contributing to the climate crisis. There's this idea that, like, I'm not going to have kids because I'm not going to exacerbate climate change. I'm not going to take up more resources. I'm making the decision to not do that. There's this kind of uncomfortable moralizing of having children which kind of has this holier than thou moral high horse vibe with like the i'm not going to use up resources i'm not going to be selfish and have a child and the idea of making having children selfish the idea of like this is the correct decision to make if you care about the planet and if you don't care about the planet and you have kids well you're just selfish is problematic and also rooted in eco-fascism this idea that, like, overpopulation is a problem, like we've mentioned earlier, is rooted in ecofascism because overpopulation isn't a problem uh, and there are many studies to prove it and it's just, you know, it's something that's used to cull uh, people of colour's communities. But also this idea of lack of resources is false. Scarcity is a myth. It's gone. It ended when capitalism reached this, you know, heightened level of productivity. We have enough food, water, medicine, clothes, everything to look after every single person on this planet, even at the rates that it's growing. We actually do. The problem is these resources are hoarded by the West and destroyed by capitalism over profits. Like we have all this excess food that is destroyed rather than distributed because it's cheaper to just destroy it. Like we're in a time of like unprecedented greed and power with the West and with the and the ruling class. And that is what's to blame with the fact that some communities don't have resources, not because those communities have too many kids. You know, it's almost victim blaming, I feel, this idea that like, oh, well, you know what? We just shouldn't have kids. Like, oh, you're worried about sustainability? How about you just don't have kids? Like, how about you stop being selfish and just don't have kids? This ain't it. This ain't it because- it is predominantly like people of color or like racial communities that have more children. Like the birth rate, the increasing birth rate and growth rate of these communities, it's often like brown and black communities. 
So when you talk about moralizing having children, what you are doing is actually placing blame on ethnic communities for reproducing. And that is a very slippery slope into genocide. I've never seen an overpopulation argument which didn't eventually turn into straight up racism and ecofascism. I don't think it can really be possible because the thing is, is that if you want to talk about overpopulation, you inevitably talk about countries which have, you know, higher birth rate per capita. And then you get into discourses of how can you control these women's bodies? Yeah. How how do we stop them from having birth? Exactly. And then that leads into forced realization, the control of women's bodies, forced contraception. Yeah, it's another it's another form of power over people's biology. It's another form of neocolonialism. It just reinforces the idea of the civilized West and the uncivilized, un- uneducated women of color in the global South. Exactly. And also, like, I do want to point out being child free is fine. And I'm not against being child free. And to be honest, like... There are more and more and more reasons every single day to not have kids. They're expensive. Women are realizing that we are more than just birthing machines. You know, there are so many reasons, very valid reasons to not have children. But the overpopulation myths and ideas around resource scarcity are not one of them. Like, there are, there are concerns you can have about climate change that inform not wanting to have kids. You can talk about your fear for, like, the planet and the future. And maybe you fear that, like, the planet won't be habitable in like 15 years time and that's why you don't want to have a kid maybe you feel like what they'll have access to all those things are okay reasons that's fine but to just be like i'm not going to have a kid because i'm not going to steal resources i'm not going to use up resources i'm not going to contribute to overpopulation that is rooted in ecofascism because the assumption is women who do that are selfish which actually leads into misogyny as well because also when it comes to children and reproduction we only ever think about the woman like it takes Two people to have a baby. (laughs) But that conversation is not often how do we moralize women for getting pregnant? It's women's fault for getting pregnant. It's a woman's fault for having so many children, for, you know, not being, you know, quote unquote, careful. There's all, all this moral blame on having too many kids. All of this is also just misogyny because women have the right to not have kids just as much as they have the right to have kids. And we should have no interest in controlling women's bodies that way. And we should have no interest in controlling people's birth rates. And the thing is, is that there is a hundred other reasons and a hundred other issues for climate change, for the current situation that we're in, that come before overpopulation. And the thing is, is that overpopulation, if anything, is a consequence of other issues affecting climate change. Uh, Doing research for this, I found a really great academic article called Overpopulation Discourse, Patriarchy, Racism, and the Spectre of Ecofascism by Jordan Dayett and Cassidy Thomas. And in it, they allude to a lot of the sort of transnational uh, non-profit organizations or prominent environmentalists in the mainstream. And these include people like Al Gore or Bill Gates for the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And the thing is, is that they always point back to the growing population rates of Africa, how in however many decades time it's going to surpass, you know, China, India, and how this is really something that needs to be stopped because apparently it's overpopulation. We got to stop them from breeding. Exactly. It's overpopulation almost in its uh, isolation that is causing these issues. But what they rightly suggest, uh, these academics, is that what the proposals of these NGOs do is that they make women of color in the global South the agent primarily responsible for making change in our present reality subtly implying that they share a considerable part of the blame. But in fact, the ecological crisis are not the fault of the global south, nor humanity as a whole, and stating so allows culpable agents to shock responsibility. In reality, 
Our current civilizational crises are the result of intersecting and mutually reinforcing structures of patriarchy, racism, coloniality, capitalism, Eurocentric modernity, etc., etc. And it's true, instead of framing overpopulation in the global south as an issue of undereducation, ignorance, and I guess uncivilized people is what they imply, is an issue of coloniality, of capitalism, of patriarchy, misogyny, etc., etc. They're all intertwined and we need to be thinking about this structurally instead of just like giving these women greater access to contraception and jobs, you know? And it's also just like so colonial and capitalist as well, because like the answer was put women in the workforce. Like, let's stop these women from having babies because we don't want more people of color. Let's just put them in the workforce and exploit them as labor instead. Like, just like, even their, even the way they've approached overpopulation, which isn't even a problem, but they've approached this quote unquote problem with a uh, let's control these women's reproductive cycles and then let's exploit their physical labor. That will solve the problem. This is just, it's just so. It's almost funny how, like, textbook capitalism it is, right? And just colonial as well, because it is this colonizer ideology that leads to ideas around the control of population. Like, we're not rats that are being bred in some scientist's lab, you know? We don't... The fact that these, like, Western people, countries, organizations, whatever, like, think they even have a say in what is the acceptable amount of people to exist in a nation is fucked up. Yeah, and coming back to that academic article, I think they correctly suggest that eco-fascist rhetoric is most prevalent in, quote, the more moderate, techno-scientific, green capitalist environmentalists who actively push policies that place the responsibility to act on some of the world's most historically marginalized populations, while refusing to engage in the root causes of the 21st century's crises of civilization. So I know ecofascism sounds, you know, so incredibly right wing, but it's actually surprisingly common everywhere, including in the left. Like I said, with conversations around like sustainability or climate change or the moralizing of having kids or whether or not we want to have kids and the women's right to not have kids, like all of it, it actually kind of can fall into ecofascism. And I feel like we need to be really vigilant And we really need to make an effort to spot it because it's hard to see. It's hard to find, especially when we associate it with Nazis. We're not exactly expecting one of our mates to like casually bring up ecofascism in a conversation, but they do. And it happens. And I see it happen all the time. And it like I feel like people mean well and they like just want to save the planet and they just want to not feel guilty for their consumption. But we really need to be vigilant and careful because ecofascism is kind of everywhere and The easiest way to spot it is just to think, who is being blamed for this? Exactly. If if it's anyone other than like a rich corporate kind of situation or capitalism, it's probably ecofascism. No, I think you're completely right. Because the thing is, is that ecofascism sounds like it would be easy to spot because it's like so apparently racist. But the issue is, is that almost superficially, it can be so convincing because a lot of the talking points start. I guess the same way as to what we're saying. But the issue is, is that is who's being blamed? Is it some material marginalized population or is it an abstract systemic structure, which is much harder to pin responsibility on because we need to think sort of conceptually. And that's sort of the issue, uh, even in regards to leftism versus rightism. There's an interesting essay by Felix Guattari, and I won't get into it too much, but he essentially says that, Everyone wants to be a fascist because what fascism is incredibly good at is identifying you as an individual 
and uh, suggesting that all your problems in your world are actually really sort of immediate in a way. It's that if you're un- if there's underemployment, it's because of immigrants, it's because of uh, multiculturalism, et cetera, et cetera. Um, fascism at a very superficial level is really good at explaining all the issues in your life. And the thing is, is that us as leftists, we instead want to pin these things on almost abstract ideas like inequality, labor, capitalism, which is far more difficult to convince someone of if they're actually struggling. Yeah, I feel like fascism and particularly eco-fascism has a lot of very convenient answers. Like, yes, here are all your problems. Uh, They're because of immigrants. And here's a really quick and easy way to solve that. We'll just ban immigrants and we'll commit genocide against this group. Done. They're gone. Eviscerated. Problem solved. Like, I mean, that's obviously me being a bit hyperbolic. But the point is, they're quite easy in a way. They're quite obvious. Whereas when we talk about like capitalism and abolishing capitalism and abolishing the patriarchy and abolishing white supremacy and all the different ways that we think society is going to be fixed, all the different things that cause our problems. Yeah, you're right. It kind of requires a bit of like conceptual thinking, a bit of Marxism, a bit of theory, which is difficult for like a lot of people. And it is difficult. And I don't want to underplay that. Yeah, so I get I get how fascism arises and especially understand how eco-fascism appears in conversations because it is convincing and a lot of the left are falling into eco-fascism as well. It comes up all over the place. But I just, yeah, I guess the reason we're doing this episode is because I'm seeing a few of you have these conversations and I kind of want to nip it in the bud. <laughs> and I just want everybody to be like more critical and think when you start talking about issues that relate to things like overpopulation or immigration Oh, anything to do with like climate change even like just think about who the offending party in your conversation is if it's anybody that's an individual it's problematic because <laughs> it's never about what one person is doing it's about like the economic and power structures of our society cool well thank you for listening uh, i think it's a good time to talk about our sponsors for the episode which is you our listeners and specifically, we'd like to thank our lovely, lovely patrons, Pia, Beck, Rachel, Sarah, Liz, Belle, and Katie. So thank you so much. If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Saliha. And if signing up isn't your thing, you can always donate at our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash Saliha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so check them out over there at Saliha Official and give me a follow if you liked today's episode. And follow my Instagram at Mitch's.miscellanea for discussions around film, books, and music. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion, you can DM me on Instagram or you can email us at here's the thing though podcast at gmail.com and please include your name, pronouns, and any other important info. And we also have a Facebook group. I feel like I don't typically plug it, but we do have one and we have discussions in there. So feel free to join our Facebook join group. Join us. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.